Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Justin. Hey, Andres. You, uh, you, you actually started off doing uh, like uh, kind of NLP and like body language techniques, didn't you? You like had a whole... Where, where did you start? Like you, you got your start doing... Like way back. Well, I don't know if I would call it my start. Well, first I worked on the back end of a seminar business that did a lot of that stuff, including hypnosis, NLP, behavioral analysis, some of those things, uh, but mostly in the realm of personal development, personal growth, a little bit about applying it to business and, and speaking, those kind of things. So yes, I, I, I do have some knowledge on uh, on body language, behavior, things like that. Can you tell when someone's lying? Not like, really. Can you interrogate someone? Like, like get get the truth? I, I know what to look for, but in practice, at pulling it off, I'm not very good at it. But uh, I kind of I know what the, the markers are to look for, though. Really? I think you're <laughs> lying to me right now. That's right. I am. <laughs> Well, well, guess what, man? We've got we've got an expert who's going to rock your world. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. You want to know more? Yes. You want to know more? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Marketing Geeks. I'm Andre Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right, all right. Uh, who's our guest, man? Yeah. Please welcome to the show. We're going to have today joined by Chase Hughes. Chase is a leading military and intelligence behavior expert with 20 years of creating the most advanced behavior skills, courses, and tactics available worldwide. Uh, he's a leading behavior expert in the United States and the number one bestselling author of two books on tactical behavior skills. Um, he's the author of the recent Ellipsis Manual, which is... Not only is it about body language, but he actually breaks down body language into a periodic table of the like the elements like you, you'd see that in chemistry. He has that broken down like every body language um, kind of tell or whatever you would call it or gesture you could think of is broken down and codified in this book. So it's pretty it's pretty intense, pretty crazy. Um, Chase has consulted for the FBI, and he's also in, uh, consulted on things like interrogations to the military. And now he teaches tactical behavioral science courses to law enforcement. And his human tradecraft course is specifically designed for intelligence operations. So he's about as advanced as you can get in understanding human behavior and body language. So I'm very happy and pleased to welcome Chase Hughes to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Chase. How are you doing today? Guys, thanks for having me. It's really cool to be here and I uh, love your show. Oh, man. Thanks. We love our show, too, uh, <laughs> coincidentally. But it's nice. It's nice to hear. And, and uh, uh, we, we're actually you're a guest that we have been super excited to have. And uh, we've missed you a couple of uh, missed you a couple of times. Uh, I've got I've got so many questions I have been dying to ask you. 
but uh, but for those of uh, listeners who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and, and like who you are? Yes, yeah, so I'm a retired now, uh, 20 year uh, military chief and served 20 years. And for the last probably the better part of 15 years, I've been developing new programs in interrogation and behavior profiling and influence and persuasion. Uh, because I thought all of those things eventually, I realized over time, started to come together in, into this big package that the, they all mattered uh, almost equally in terms of getting results. And I, you know, I became obsessed with this stuff when I was younger. I had a lot of social anxiety. So developing the ability to read people and spending the time and money to, to get that education was critical, like I started to see that people became human instead of uh, a little more threatening. And that's kind of what made it addicting for me. And I got better and better at it. And I started uh, developing programs and writing tactics and techniques, procedures for intelligence operations. And here we are today. Wow, that that's uh, there, there's a uh, there's a lot that happened. And I, 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 I want to find out a couple of things. First of all, uh, what what was the thing that like me, like what, because you mentioned you wanted to find out more about people, but was there anything that like when you were younger, that, that there was a moment for you, like the inciting incident, if you will, where you were like, you know what, I, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I want to, I want to know what, what's making people tick. What was the thing that really made you pursue that to begin with? Well, I uh, was 19 years old. I joined the Navy when I was 17. And I was uh, 19 in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and uh, we'd taken a night out in the town. We're in Waikiki Beach, and we're at a bar there called Kelly O'Neill's. And uh, it was uh, children, basically. It was an under-21 night. And I'd asked this woman, young woman that I met there, to basically just kind of go out on a date with me. And she said no. And... I I was just kind of wrecked and I went home that night and I typed in to Google how to tell when girls like you. (laughs) And uh, I printed out a stack of papers and then it it stopped becoming about women almost immediately. And that like the problem is never like you have you lack skills with women. Uh, I I pretty quickly realized that, you know, this is not some sleazy pickup thing. I I wanted to really get better at being a human. And uh, just the the social implications that just that occur as a byproduct of being good with with people uh, were fantastic. And, you know, the better I got at reading people, the more human they became. And the more human they became, the better I was at conversation and reading through some of this stuff. You read any report on body language, and it says it's ninety-three percent of communication. Which I, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't really buy into that. But if we conservatively just say like two-thirds of communication is nonverbal, what the hell are we doing? Like, if you can go to Harvard University uh, and get a PhD in psychology, and they spend maybe five minutes teaching you about nonverbal communication. And it's the same university that publishes a paper that says it's 93% of communication. There's just, it was baffling to me that, that this wasn't really taken into account. And if, if all these universities kind of agree that it's two thirds of communication, why does it make up less than 1% of our training <laughs> or business school 
or negotiation school or an interrogation class or anything where we're talking about two humans uh, meeting each other. Yeah, it would certainly makes sense that it would be a bigger part of the curriculum, um, considering how critical and important it is. Now, like you, I've also dealt with social anxiety, especially when I was in my teenage years. Up to this point, though, I, to this date, I still deal with some of it. So how does like being able to understand people at a deep level and, and read body language impact? Like, I don't know if you were like me, like get nervous in bigger crowds kind of thing. Yeah. How are you been able to do better like in, in crowds? And like, do you, do you use this kind of stuff for when you're speaking from the stage, too, and things like that? Like, what are the other applications of this beyond just knowing if a girl likes you or not? Well, I mean, at first when I started getting really good at this stuff, people became more human and I was able to see flaws and fears and insecurities and weaknesses, not in a way where I was just some kind of a terminator and I never felt superior to anybody. Uh, it, It kind of let me know that, hey, man, everybody is just as screwed up, if not more screwed up than I am. And the whole time I started getting good at reading behavior and I thought, wow, every person that I'm meeting is just really sad and suffering and insecure. And it took me a while. You don't know to, me. To, you don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it took me a while to realize that's that's 100 percent of human beings. Like everybody we meet is suffering to some degree and everyone suffers from insecurity. And, and I just thought I was reading people wrong. And that was a that was a major turning point for me. Just kind of being able to see that in a conversation when you're talking to somebody changes everything. Literally, everyone you meet is wearing a mask to some degree. We all wear a mask. If you start approaching conversations from the perspective of knowing for a fact that everyone you speak to has insecurities and everyone that you speak to wears some kind of mask, a social mask, You don't even need to study behavior. If you just take away this one thing and keep that for one week, try that on for a week, just knowing those two things in the conversations that you have, your empathy is better. You connect better. The conversations are a little bit deeper. And just those two things will make you a little bit more persuasive because we're seeing some someone that we know for a fact that I'm speaking to a mask. And, you know, a lot of my training teaches people how to see behind the mask, how to pull the mask off and make the person way more vulnerable, and open and receptive. But just a conversation knowing that you're speaking to another human being that's also wearing a mask, uh, it, it changes the game. That's fascinating because humans are complicated, too. And I, I think of like just as I get older, things like the distinction between good and evil blur a lot and the like good actions, bad actions, because everybody's very complicated and complex. And and like I guess I just realize naturally as I get older that, yeah, not everybody, the face they put on on Facebook or the face they put on in public is not their the real face that uh, that shows when nobody's watching. But to know that at a younger age and to use that intentionally and to understand that every single person that you're interacting with is suffering like you, like kind of how you described is, is pretty fascinating. And it's a totally different kind of paradigm on approaching conversations and on, uh, especially I think in terms of business and, and like creating more, a more in, uh, influential approach. Has that been your experience too? Have you like kind of like, like the, the lines kind of blur too? But you know, for me, I just see people as being more complicated, but not necessarily. <laughs> Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. And One thing I teach in my seminars is the four levels of people. And if you think of a situation that would really piss you off, 
and really get you upset. Like you're driving down the highway and some guy in a, a giant flashy pickup truck cuts you off like violently in front of your car, taps on his brakes a little bit and then reaches up and flips you off as he's doing it. <laughs> so just all that happens at once. So during this, like our interactions with humans, when we slip into this point of judgment or anger or any of this other stuff, uh, or in an interrogation or in a car sales environment or in a marketing environment. We have four, I've kind of identified these four types of people. And this is not like you're, you're one of these types and then you're stuck there. It's just a way that we mentally approach a situation. So the first one is viewing people as causes. So the guy cuts you off and you view him as a cause. He's causing this in my life. So we react, we get really pissed off. We want to like swerve around him, let's slam on the brakes. We want to drive up beside him or flip him off. We want to re, uh, we want to get back on top of that situation. We want to let him know that he really screwed up. We want to make the other person regret it. So that, that's where we speak in terms of other people being a cause on our life. The second type of person is he views people as different. So we have causes first. People are different second. So the guy cuts this guy off, who's a level two person. Guy cuts him off, and level two guy says, well, you know, I'm still having an emotional reaction to this, but, you know, everybody's different. There's not much I can do to really change this guy. Still get pissed off. Maybe just quietly imagine him swerving into a telephone pole or something like that. <laughs> but we're not going to take aggressive action because people are different. Everybody's different. A level three person views other people as facts, F-A-C-T-S, facts, unchangeable facts. So we, have, we go from causes, they're causing something, to just people are different, and then we're at people are facts. So, so like an absolute, like they're just, they are what they are. There's no changing no matter what. That's right. And if you think of any kind of getting pissed off, any kind of anger, is secretly a desire to change something because you think there's a potential for change. We don't get mad at hurricanes. We don't get like emotionally mad at a tornado or a tsunami or a flood or anything that we can't change. We have no control over it. We don't get angry. So we view the people just like we would anything else. Like the guy acts like a douchebag and we think, why, why? He needs to act another way. We get upset about it. But the level three person says, that's what a douchebag is supposed to do. He's supposed to act like a douchebag. He's a douchebag. That's just normal. That's regular. So that's a fact. We, like we view the people as a fact. And the fourth one is viewing people as reasons. And on this level, the level four type of person uh, would view this from a behavior profiler perspective almost. So the guy would cut you off. You automatically understand that this guy is a product of something that happened in childhood, as we all are. I mean, if I polled you guys or your audience, we all unanimously agree we're a largely a, a product of things that happened to us. And this guy cuts off a level four person. The level four person automatically understands this guy has a significant need for power and control, which probably uh, he was bullied, might have had a just a piece of crap father, a mother who abandoned him. Maybe he got punched in the face when he was in middle school in front of a bunch of girls that he liked. And he got embarrassed and he made a vow as a little kid. I will never let someone hurt me again. And we, we view this from a point of extreme empathy. But we're also understanding the mask 
that gives you the understanding that level four makes you sort of hmm. understand that person's mask a little bit better. So you're looking at them as like a comprehensive story, not just as a as a uh, not just at the behavior. You're not identifying the behavior as the person. You're looking at the whole story behind it. Now, I just want to say, like in, in politics today, we see a lot of division, things like that. Do you think that a lot of people look at Republicans and Democrats and they see them in the absolutes? Is that like what you're saying? Like they see them in those in those stages of permanence? Is that one of the uh, something that would block communication between people? I think uh, seeing anyone in a state of permanence is 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 just fine at the beginning of any conversation. Uh, but I think that people get upset because they're identifying that that is an adversary because I I personally identify my own personality with whatever political party I'm, I'm affiliated with. And they want to change them probably, too. And, and that can also create upset, like you said earlier, too. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you, you, part of the way that you uh, earn your bread and butter is you do like interrogations too, right? You, 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 part of what you do is get information out of people uh, for security uh, purposes. Yeah. Correct. So I do concierge uh, interrogation services for law enforcement and a lot of private companies actually. And it's not just doing the interrogation, which I do get called out to do. Uh, I, I'll go in there and train uh, the security teams on how to how to elicit a confession and how to uh, get an employee who's been stealing to confess or get someone who is a sex offender to confess to a crime in a lot shorter time than locking the guy in a room for 15 hours and just talking to him uh, at length. And you did this for businesses, too, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so so um, I mean, I'm interested definitely in the crime stuff. That's fascinating, but I'm also interested in like how would you apply this to a business standpoint? Since we're the marketing geeks, and you know, we want to kind of stay on track here. But but if you if you were to say use this ability, like this Jedi mind trick, if you will, right. for business purposes, how would you employ it? Uh, well, there's two different ways. So like, if we're talking about interrogations, uh, my last client that I got hired to go do concierge interrogations for was a company that had a high theft rate. And they had a few suspects that were suspected of stealing and they had this big old list and I had to fly in there and, and just go talk to all these people, just kind of back to back. And cause they can't fire them on a suspicion. So they needed them to confess to taking things from the company before they could take any action. But on the other part of this, it's not just interrogation, this, this extreme level of persuasion and influence that we teach, which is uh, which is very much a, a weapon. And that's kind of what we give to uh, chief executives. We train a lot of companies on how to do some extreme people reading and extreme persuasion in really critical scenarios like negotiations and sales talks when we're, we're they're talking about major deals and they need to know the person across the table and my you know my entire company's goal is my client will be the most dangerous person in the room and my client will have the absolute unfair advantage when it comes to human interactions can you give a couple of examples of some of the things that you would do? Uh, let's let's start with the negotiation, but also uh, I want to hear like how you would get somebody to elicit a confession. Like what are what are just some of the basic principles that you might employ to do that? 
Sure. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with negotiation. So, like, let's say you you have a, a hard a hard negotiation. Um, two people are pretty far apart. Like, what are, what are some of the things that you're going to do to help get agreement and help to uh, what are, yeah What would you be teaching a CEO to give them that unfair advantage in a negotiation, uh, especially like in the field of you know a tough field? Sure. Well, there's quite a bit, but there's there's a few that are that are really great. That in the beginning of a negotiation, before it gets to a hard stop or a hard disagreement, there's usually unconscious signals, like we're seeing uh, the lips tighten. We're seeing a person put a pen into their mouth. We're seeing someone start to make a, just very slowly starting to make a fist on the table. Their fingers are just kind of pulling into the, their palms. And then you notice the words that are being spoken when those things happen. We've automatically identified these unconscious objections that the person across the table is not going to tell us that they object to because they want to play everything as close to the chest as possible. So I'm giving them that advantage to spot every single point of agreement and every single point of objection, even when that person is trying to hide it before the discussion for the negotiation even starts. <laughs> so that's where the people skills come in. And we also have a massive authority training section to walk that person through how to uh, just have a commanding presence beyond this, these uh, bullcrap articles you see on LinkedIn, like how to command respect like a CEO, the top ways to exude confident body language, and which is just horrible advice, <laughs> most of it. So, so what would you recommend? Like if I wanted to come in the room and command authority, what, what would be the thing that I would want to do? The the first thing, so Andros, have you ever had a conversation where the person looked the part? Everything looked perfect on the outside. It sounded great, but something felt like it was way off. Oh, yeah. We've all had that. So when we go in there and we have this long list, sit up straight, make eye contact, give a firm handshake, use the person's name. This just this crappy little self-helpy rapport building stuff from the 1970s Xerox sales team. Uh, it just doesn't work anymore. We need a more, we need a sharper weapon. Right. So the main thing that, that really plays a big difference is whether or not I'm able to teach that person how to shut off those signals that make a person experience the feeling of something's not right. How can I shut that off in that other person's brain across the table? And I mean, it goes to such small things uh, so, I mean, if I was just to poll both of you guys just with a yes or no, would making your bed be something that could interfere with your life at work? I wouldn't think so. I, I, I would say so, because if I don't if I don't make my bed, then then my wife will be grumpy at me and then uh, I'll know that all day. So, yeah, it's best that I just do it. And I mean, what if you what if you are in a situation where you are trying to look like you handle your business, so to speak, and you actually don't? We've all got a little part of our brain that's dedicated to kind of reminding us when we've neglected something or when we're sending mixed signals. Like I know that I'm I know that I've got a six foot pile of laundry back at my house that I need to do. And I didn't. I've got unpaid bills piling up on the kitchen table. I've got a sink full of dishes. That stuff will show unconsciously and trigger things in the other person. And we have a massive list of kind of dissecting this person's behaviors, their lifestyle. And we have within about 35 minutes, we have this test that we give to these executives that show them every single weakness they have from a psychological perspective and everything that they're doing 
that broadcasts this uncertainty to the person across the table. And this, the second phase of the negotiation will be the, the persuasion phase. And this gets down into the words that we use and the things that we do. This person with their behavior profiling skills knows the right words to use, knows when to pause, knows when to tilt their hands a certain way, knows when to really connect with the other person and knows exactly what to say to make that other person feel like they're understood. Because when we're training most of this rapport stuff, negotiation stuff, you go sit in a room right now or like go go watch a video of an interrogation or a sale. It's two people talking to each other, but it's a mask talking to a mask. So the mistake that most people make is that A, they can't see behind the mask. B, they can't peel it off and see they don't know what's back there, so they don't know how to speak to the person that's actually back there in the driver's seat that's making the decisions, the one experiencing the emotions. So, okay, so you're saying that people are speaking to the mask instead of the real person behind the mask, and they're missing a big part of uh, what's not being discussed, and they're not, so they're not addressing the. So, so what what you're what it seems like you, to me what you're talking about is really talking more to the person and not the. The, the part that they're playing. I mean, I always, I always talk about like, you know, when you see little kids playing adult, like they're pretending to be adults, it's really funny because they, they, they sit down at their desk and then you see their face. They get like this kind of stern face. Yeah. Like a scowl. Yeah. Like a scowl. And they're like, I'm an adult. And, 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 you know, kids are, are, they're, they're truth tellers. Right. So that's how they see us wearing our, our masks. So, so basically, it's like two kids sitting across from each other wearing that scowly mask, talking to the scowly mask. The, the question then is, how do you penetrate that? Because what you, it seems like to me you're talking about really is moving past the mask and talking to the person instead, right? For sure. And so, so what, what, what are the ways to kind of uh, – because I, I know what you're talking about. You, you walk into a meeting and the person is already – you know, they've got their little part that they're playing and you're playing your part. Uh, but how do you penetrate that facade on both parts and talk to the real person? Like, what's the best way to do that? Well, the first is to be able to identify what kind of mask they're wearing. And there's basically six types of masks. And this is a gross overgeneralization. Uh, but it is effective to use this this framework just to, in conversation. Once you understand which one of these six, you automatically know what the person is most deathly afraid of. And this is significance, acceptance, approval, intelligence, pity, or strength and power. So like somebody with a significance mask on, they want to know that they make a difference. They want to know that they are not necessarily powerful, but impactful. So someone who is wearing an approval mask is walking around making sure they do things that make other people either compliment them, uh, give them permission to do something, or otherwise say something in terms of what they did or how well they did something that makes them more likely to do it again in the future. They need permission. The acceptance person is the person that's wants to communicate that they're part of a group, that they have a big group backing them. I'm a member of a team or a member of a tribe. And we go on and on about each one. Like the, the person with the strength and power need needs to feel like they're in charge. It's not need to be in charge. It's a need to feel in charge. And there's a big difference with all these. These are just needs 
to feel a certain way. So they need to feel like that. So at the beginning of a conversation, I might let them know that that mask looks great on their face. I might go in and say, listen, man, there's no doubt that you're the one that's in charge. You're kind of running this meeting. And I'm actually, I don't know much about this. I might be a, an amateur about this stuff. And I've kind of fascinated by it. And I'd love to learn from you. And we make, we get, we let them know those words to a certain type of person would let them know that that mask is great. So is that disarming? Is that disarming for them too? Absolutely. It, it creates comfort. And if we're, if we're honest and you're, you really hit home with the person and you've kind of developed your behavioral profiling skills to the point where you understand who you're speaking to, just a small compliment like that, even if it's self-deprecating to you a little bit, or you have to declare that you're naive about something, you are creating neurochemicals. You're, you're flooding their blood with more neuropeptides, 500 million neuropeptides inside this hypothalamus that's, that's go, entering their bloodstream faster than if you gave them an injection. So it's, it's, it's really like you're, in a way, you're almost controlling like the, the chemical output of someone's brain, like releasing, getting them to release the serotonin, getting them to release uh, the oxycotton, cotton, uh, no, oxytocin. Uh, oxytocin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's almost like uh, Jedi mind trick territory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, with what I teach, this is kind of the uh, below preschool level Jedi mind tricks, just kind of at the very beginning of a conversation. And one of the things you're talking about with this negotiation it's the same as an interrogation. It's the same as a sale. It's the same as just talking to another person. We, If I have got you to completely take off your mask, the first emotion that you're going to experience with me, if we're just sitting next to each other, say you sat next to me on an airplane somewhere, you didn't know who I am, and I got you to really take off that mask, the first feeling that every human being is going to feel is fear, 100%, because we've built this mask to protect us, not to trick other people, not because we're deceptive, not because we're manipulative. Our brain put this mask together to protect us. Like if I act this way, I don't get attacked. If I act this way, people tell me I'm smart. If I act this way, people respect me more. And is that triggering like a fight or flight type of thing? So if, if that if that's violated, is that almost like evolutionary psychology, like our brain interprets this as a threat to our existence or? You bet. It is. OK. It's a threat to identity. Yeah, because I, I mean, I wrote all these studies about how, um, you know, there's there's people who are, you know, they have a belief system. And if they're shown facts that contradict their belief system, um, rather than going, oh, my, I might be wrong about this. They uh, actually double down and they they dig their heels in about that belief system. They get angry. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's kind of interesting how, um, you know, there's, there's certain people out there who will look at, you know, I'm not pointing out any particular politician, but some politicians will turn out to be uh, scummy, lying douchebags. Um, and, uh, and then they'll be like, no, 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 he's not. He's a, he's a person of God. And I don't, I don't under, I, I mean, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around <laughs> reconciling that particular um, mindset, but but there's enough people that would rather uh, hold on to some belief, knowing it's wrong, than just go. You know what? My whole life is a lie because I think that that's that their their whole psyche would probably crumble at that point. Yeah, and just to just to clarify, all politicians are full of shit. <laughs> no, no. 
And I'm, I'm doing this as I'm sitting here in D.C. and the uh, crap's going on. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm curious. So so you're in D.C. You said you do some work for the Pentagon. You mentioned you cannot talk about what you are doing. But what can you talk a little bit about, like, the types of things that you do for for government? Sure. And I'm not here doing any work for the Pentagon at all. But uh, the type of stuff that we do for the government is, like, on the – Local and state level, we teach police departments an extremely advanced interrogation course that is unlike anything they've ever seen. And we've it's been so well-received. And every time we teach this interrogation course, we get people inviting us to go participate in these cold cases and help help out. And I wish I had time to do them all. Uh, wow. And, and have you helped solve like, uh, cases that have been sitting around for a long time? Uh, I don't know if any of them are solved yet. It's only been a few months since I retired from the military. Did a, did America's Most Wanted ever contact you when they were still on the air? That would be cool. <laughs> but no, maybe. that would have been. I don't know. I don't know if they're still on the air now. Maybe they are. I don't know. Now, now, one of the things that that uh, Justin was telling me about you is that you you actually have some insight into uh, the granddaddy of all conspiracies, the MK Ultra. Uh, and, and, uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? You bet. Uh, what, what specifically did you guys want to know about? And just to, just to clarify, like the other government training that our, our company does is with police. We teach police how to prevent and predict violent behavior and attacks on police officers. Mm. We have a suicide prediction training for children that I'm in partnership with, uh, Mariel Hemingway and I. Uh, put this program together. And we are government programs for Department of Defense. We are we work with psychological operations units. Uh, we work with interrogation units. And we're doing some other stuff as well that work in, uh, I mean, you could see this on my website. We teach yeah. a human intelligence course and we teach some advanced uh, interrogation techniques. So, so wait, wait before uh, before we shift over to MK Ultra and all that. So, what about like potentially identifying school shooters in advance? Is that something you've looked into at all, or is that? Because I mean, it seems like there's a need for that right now, for schools to be able to identify these high risk, um, like especially high schools, identify high risk kids. Is that something you've explored at all? Absolutely, I'm working on that with a guy named Jim Wenzel in Virginia Beach, and he is massively involved in this stuff. And I think there's very, very limited behaviors that are like just holy moly, this is way outside the box. I didn't know this would happen. Yeah. Like if you go to Google and type in uh, preschool shooter behavior, it's all going to be the same. There's uh, a gradual withdrawal of serotonin drugs or a withdrawal from uh, social activity, a, a meanness or small levels of outbursts, recent Google searches of guns and gun violence and other things like that. You know, it's, it's stuff we'd all we would all just nod our head yeah. like, yeah, that, that makes sense. But a lot of that's private. I mean, like the Google searches are it's not likely that people are going to have access to that information. So that makes it a little more difficult to predict in advance. Yeah, yeah it, it would it would have to be parents that, that see that stuff. So, so do you see the role of AI being something that will eventually take your job? No. AI could maybe take my job, and I'm trying to I'm, – I'm working with a company right now to teach it to do that and um, to read human behavior. But as far as interrogation or influence goes, it will be another 50,000 years before <laughs> the human-to-human -human interaction is not the base of everything. 
I mean, it's, it's unless we're unless we're living in a simulation right now, which is that's true. Is very possible. Um, <laughs> so, so um, I, I mean, you know, this touches on some some for me some scary stuff is because you know you hear about what's happening in uh, China and how they're developing these systems for predictability with uh, certain behaviors and. They have their their whole social um, uh, scoring credit, system, social credit system, the social yeah. credit system, and then uh, you know there's there's definitely talk about you know Amazon selling AI and facial recognition technology to police enforcement, which I I don't feel I don't feel that police should have that type of technology really, um, but uh, I, I mean what's your what's your take on all of that? So, Andrews, tell me why police shouldn't have it. I mean, in your opinion. Well, I, in, in my opinion, it, it, here's, it's a personal thing. Um, number one is uh, I was raised by hippie parents uh, and, you know, <laughs> and a science fiction writer uh, for a father. And, and I feel that that there is um, bias in a lot of systems. I've seen this bias up close. And what I mean by that is that uh, when you give a certain group of people uh, a, a, a way to um, uh, oppress another group of people, even if it's on a subconscious level. I feel that the potential for that becoming abused is, is high, right? In an AI environment? Well, not only in an AI environment, in a, you know, in just a, uh, a cultural environment. Uh, I, 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 I was, uh, for a short time, I was studying to be a uh, paramedic. And the way that the paramedics and the police interacted was very, very interesting because um, the, the paramedics would go into a situation to uh, help somebody and the police would uh, be, you know, at a heightened state a lot of times. And there were times that the paramedics would try to defuse the situation and the police would aggravate the situation. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with training. But but I, I think that if you give a certain group of people that can enforce laws an advantage in a way that that can be it, it can turn into the Stanford prison experiment pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah. And I think personally, I think technology advancements are going to prove to be a way to start removing bias. And I think our country is going in such a direction right now where everyone's so terrified of 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 bias, especially chiefs of police around the entire country. The whole every chief of police I talk to, which is they, crazy, because we're 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 so. I mean, I mean, we're everything is safer than it's ever been. I mean, are you saying that they're afraid of 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 being biased, or you or or no. that people are just becoming more biased? No, I think they're mostly just definitely afraid that they have to act a certain way to show that they don't have bias. Right. Even even if they don't, they're worried that they might accidentally make a choice that communicates that. So I think there's so much concern about it that that AI or technology is going to have that built in as as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah, may, I, maybe. And and uh but also, you know, we had a we had an AI expert on a couple of weeks ago um who talked about this and and you know, which I am not. Yeah, I mean if if uh the AI is as good as the person programming it, right? And th there's been plenty of times when AI has discovered its own bias, um, ultimately, and, and it has run into to problems. But I also see, you know, we've, we've looked at the past several decades where 
uh, lobbyists create laws that help, you know, strengthen uh, the laws to be tough on crime, if you will. And really what it is, is it, it ends up disproportionately um, making a, one group of people uh, targets for for those laws. Right. Like if somebody smokes crack cocaine versus having a pound of refined cocaine, the crack cocaine person gets more jail time. And um, and so those those types of things I, I feel are are scary. I have no problem with police having the tools, but I also feel that police need to have more of what you do, which is the training of understanding where the person is coming from who has this who, who's committing the crime or has this problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a lot of what our police training involves is the recognizing human behavior, all kinds seeing behind the mask, and then being able to spot violence before it happens. And that gives the officer more time to create some physical distance, to uh, de-escalate, which we also teach an advanced de-escalation in that course, or to get their gun out of the holster faster. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. You know, it, it was interesting because when I first moved here um, a couple of years ago, I'm I'm in the city center. And uh, I'm I see these two um, these the, these these two black kids start to fight these two white kids and uh, they they're you know, they're puffing up their chest and it looks like they're about to slug it out. And then out of nowhere, these police show up and they they grab the, the black kid and throw him up against the wall. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this like if, I'm still like in America mode. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to witness a murder. Right. Uh, this this kid could get shot. Yeah. And um, the uh, the police officer just like told the, the, the two white kids to take a hike. He looked at the black kid and said, you know, just kind of talk to him for a few minutes in, in Dutch and then just pointed the other direction and just said, take off. Right. And he completely diffused the situation yeah. like the the. Um, uh, it, it was it was wild to see because in in America uh, this situation would have ended up with a a gun pulled on on somebody uh, more often than not and so so um, I, I feel that that the reliance on using uh, deadly force seems to be in fact it, it seems like a lot of like it's just kind of the American way that that people are itching to use that gun use that weapon. How would you diffuse a situation? Like what, what kind of techniques would you use if the situation is really hot? How would, what would you tell the police to, to do instead of pulling the gun? That's one of those situations where the police would have to be physical because they've got to stop a fight and they've got to get physical to stop a fight. But I think we see a lot more on TV uh, than we ever used to. There's police violence has been around for a hundred, 500 years. And I think that we're, it's underreported that a police officer uses some really kind techniques to de-escalate something or to make his community better or to build trust in his his community. Dude, I, tr I, t I teach these police officers every day. That stuff happens more than any of this violence. And I can tell you it's it's the norm. Uh -huh. And the violence and stuff is the exception most of the time. But no one cares. No one's going to put that on Fox News. A, a cop helped somebody today or a cop – de-escalated a fight today. We only want to see, we don't want to see that as a, as a culture. Like we want to see the fights. We want to see the nasty stuff and anything that generates fear generates focus. Sure. Like if you're walking down a, a trail in the woods and a stick breaks behind a bush, 
That's fear. It equals focus. And there, the news media is in the business of focus uh, capture. Yeah, absolutely. They got to keep the eyeballs. I mean, it's all about that um, these days. Uh, I, I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about this, the, the MK Ultra thing, because that, you know, we're running out of time and I, I want to make sure we get that in there. What, uh, tell us, first of all, for those who don't know what this is, can you give us kind of the, the brief history of, of what MK Ultra was? A brief history of MK Ultra. So the entire MK Ultra was started by the United States government, but m- more, more accurately, some guys in the, what was then the, CIA or what is now the CIA. Uh, And the guy who kind of spearheaded this whole thing was named Wild Bill Donovan. And this all stemmed from guys coming back from war, our our troops, American troops coming back from war or going on video, signing these statements that say, America's awful. America is an imperialist piece of crap country. I reject my American citizenship. Just crazy stuff. And it was scary. Like if, if I can control the mind, I don't need a weapon anymore. And if I'm persuasive enough, like in, in our, you know, the nuclear bomb is invented now and we're in a place where like, if I can control the mind of the person that wields a nuclear weapon, I don't need a weapon. I become more dangerous than anybody else. The brain being able to control that person is more dangerous than the weapon itself. So they got into this, phase like oh we need to study this interrogation we need to study uh brainwashing and this that's where that term started to come into more common use and figure out what that was so they went on this massive uh uh crusade's a bad word but they went on this massive search to find a perfect truth drug and what they kind of settled on was some just a few drugs and uh, sodium amytal is one of them propofol and um, LSD. And we're talking massive amounts of LSD. So they're responsible. I mean, this is from the the then director of the CIA uh, publicly saying that he was responsible for like 90% of the LSD coming into the country. Wow. (laughs) And all of that was in a, a way to, can we program human beings can we find a truth serum? Is mind control possible? Was what they're trying to basically answer with all that. And MKUltra was subdivided into other stuff like Project Artichoke and Project Bluebird, if you want to look that up. And some of it took place in Canada, but it was sanctioned by universities. It was sanctioned by medical centers, Johns Hopkins. Like there was all kinds of uh, all kinds of reputable places involved in this stuff. I think mostly because they didn't know they were dealing with the CIA. Mm. Now, wouldn't you say that this is somewhat of a, a bit of an abuse of having some power too, though? I mean, because we, we uh, we're doing mind control experiments. My understanding is that a lot of these were done on, well, I think they were volunteers, but volunteer human sus- uh, subjects. I mean, isn't this a little bit of also like what can happen when you give certain people certain amounts of authority that they might abuse it? Because they were giving very high doses of LSC, from my understanding, trying to influence human behavior and Potentially having in some cases, in some cases unknowingly, they gave people uh, LSD. Yeah, potentially having life changing yeah. impacts due to the due to that. Um, a lot of know, the a lot of the people did not have uh, give consent. These were non consenting people, and this it was a doctor who was I think was about to blow the whistle on this thing. 
Dr. Frank Olson. He got thrown off a hotel balcony in San Francisco. Wow. Said he committed suicide. But earlier in San Francisco, there was something called Project Midnight Climax. And this is definitely worth uh, putting a link in your show notes. Okay. (laughs) Project Midnight Climax? Project Midnight (laughs) Climax. And this thing, these CIA dudes uh, got a bunch of hookers and – and they modified these hotel rooms to where they could sit behind a mirror and watch these hookers bring guys up there and give them LSD and just and just watch to see what happens. They would sit back there with some popcorn and a legal pad and and just sit there and pretend to be scientists, like taking notes on what LSD does. <laughs> and that's insane, wow, but it gets that way is- worse. In Canada, there's a guy named Dr. Ewan Cameron who was running some of this stuff at a at a medical facility. I, I don't want to say the name of it because it's still active and they're doing great work nowadays. Uh, but you and Cameron had something called the sleep room where he would put people in comas for weeks at a time, medically induced like sleep coma with their eyes forced open, forced to listen to recordings the entire time over and over. And they're just kind of in a light state of sleep almost. And they're forced to watch these videos and listen to these audio recordings some of the people that were released after they were quote unquote uh, treated by this dude uh, were incontinent. They couldn't control their bladder anymore. They lost the ability to speak. They couldn't walk or um, some of them just acted like children. And some uh, some of the people suffered brain damage where they would uh, just do crazy stuff in public and they couldn't control themselves. So it's just awful. And these are just ethics violations. So, you know, the the thing the thing that is wild to me is like okay well they say well you know the the, the government doesn't do all, any of that anymore but I I would f- completely disagree I think that this stuff just changes form in fact um, I, I you know I fully believe that that Facebook is is it a giant mind control operation on one level um, <laughs> you know and and so so do you feel that some of this stuff that they were experimenting on with with social control and mind control, do you think that it just got refined and there's there's elements of, of certain governments, not just America, but other governments as well that are still actively pursuing this? Yeah, if you like Andrews, would you ever would you rather have a couple nukes or the ability to co- to manipulate the guy that uses it? Well, uh, I'd rather have the ability to do the psychological aspect. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm I'm. I feel like, like for instance, there's there's a good possibility that that the Cold War has has is over and we lost it and nobody realizes it, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's there, there's that possibility that exists. Yeah, and and this MK Ultra thing was massive, massive ethics violations by actual doctors. Uh, there's a great guy who wrote a book on this called The CIA Doctors. His name is Dr. Colin Ross, uh, who wanted to expose these people. And I think the mind control program is still going on, uh, but I don't think it's it's what we think. Uh, it's not the uh, uh, sending signals through someone's tooth into the, some radio signal into someone's brain. It's not any kind of uh, stuff like that. I think the mind control is more on a large social scale. It's not to create some dude into a, a Manchurian candidate. And it's not to get some guy in Nebraska who can hear the radio through the fillings in his teeth. And he's got to put tinfoil on his head like to keep that from coming in. Man, I've been studying this stuff in and out of government for a long time. It, there's nothing like that that going on. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a large social scale 
uh, mind control to the point where if our government needs to make them, and this is my opinion, uh, and this is to maybe to sway an election or to swing a people against a leader that, that needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's enough social control that they, they can, um, uh, they can pull certain levers and make certain things happen. I have a, I have a question though. I wanna, I, um, so now that you have this background, because you, you understand human behavior, you, you can recognize body signals, you know how to disarm certain things. And, and, uh, when you see a sign that somebody's disinterested or somebody is, uh, showing resistance that they're not verbally saying, but you see that you see the body language, do you see like top level government people or, or top interrogators or top uh, do you see other people that seem to have the same skill set that you have? Like now that you know the skills, are you are you seeing that or even like on the, on the most powerful world leaders? Like how often do you like how advanced do some of them get with these skills um, now that you're able to recognize some of the things that they're doing? Some of them are pretty advanced. And I would say that. And this is going to sound a little biased, but I think my system is right now the top in the world. And I'm sure somebody will, uh, you know, put another brick on top of that. And all I'm doing is adding to the adding to the research, which is all I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but for someone, someone just can't like pick up a book and get good at this. Uh, that's like saying, like, I'm, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble and grab a book on uh, cardiac or cardiothoracic surgery. And <laughs> then I'm, I'm yeah. one of the best in the country because I've memorized this book page for page. Uh, so it, it takes a lot of work to get good at it. There's some people that are born with higher charisma skills mm -hmm. or or maybe they develop them. I mean, I've, I'm not arguing that. But in order to, to read people, you need to get some studying done because a lot of this, when we're, we say like, oh, we automatically read body language. Yes. But which part of our brain does it? If we go to this triune brain theory, we have our human brain with an animal brain underneath it, with a lizard brain underneath that. And our animal brain is 10 million years old, and its language is invented by us. Language doesn't come in our bodies. It's not part of our genes. Body language is. We're born with these facial expressions. We're born with this stuff. So that brain has been reading nonverbal communication a long time. But here's the problem, and here's the biggest reason that we don't have natural people readers, that when your unconscious reads that, that part of your brain can not speak English. It can't speak any language. Language is not formed in a mammal brain. So all the best that it can do is maybe give you a good gut feeling. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, 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 um, what what we, we've got to wrap up the show and I could we could talk about this. I mean, I, I could go on for hours with this because this is a fascinating subject. The question I have is we can we as a species get to the point where we are unable to be manipulated by by outside forces that want to keep control and power over the masses like. Do you think that there's going to be a point when collectively we can move past the social control and the mind control experiments that seem to be run on us on a regular basis? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, great. It's an honest answer right there. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you why really quick that uh, let's go back 500,000 years ago. The average group of people is 170 to 150 people. The person who is not influenced by the group 
gets outcast, kicked out, can't have sex, and their DNA disappears off the face of the earth. The person who doesn't obey authority, whether it be one person who's an authority figure or the authority of a social group making a decision or us obeying the authority of a commercial or seeing some kind of advertising or anything like that, that is hardwired into the lowest, lowest, lowest part of our brains. This is almost to the very bottom of this mammalian brain that we're social creatures. If we don't follow the pack, our DNA disappears. So it's it gets into evolutionary psychology essentially. So we're we're doing we're trapped because our brains still think that we're hunter gatherers facing complex predators or <laughs> yes, and I, I, animal predators. I think also there's no psychology in the world that's not evolutionary psychology. Everything is evolutionary psychology. The brain's an evolutionary thing. So I have a question. So if somebody, if somebody wants to take this on and let's say they get your book, your book again is the ellipsis manual and it's an awesome like encyclopedia of body language and breaking down human behavior. What, what kind of uh, like, let's even look at your own timeline. Like when did you first really notice a shift in your ability to read people? How many years did it take you or how long did it take you when you first like really made that jump? And like when, when you're your clients, like what, what do you, how long does it take somebody to really make a, a, like a massive leap in their, in their abilities? And I'm sure this is a lifelong process process. And I understand that, but I'm just kind of curious on like, what's like a minimal threshold that they're going to need to invest in order to kind of start to open their eyes. Okay. So let me, let me just finish up with this just and tell you this in a conversation with another person, the average time that a person blinks per minute is 21 blinks per minute. If that person experiences something that stresses them out, their blink rate will increase. We can go all the way up to 70 blinks per minute without even noticing it's unconscious, which makes it extremely reliable to read people. If the person gets more relaxed and focused and interested in a conversation, their blink rate will go down to like a six. And you don't even have to count. If you see it speeding up, the person is getting stressed out. If it's going slower, the person is relaxing, getting more focused and interested in the conversation. So you don't have to count. You just start a conversation and your goal is to slow down blink rate. So just take this one thing home today and your question is automatically answered. You can see it in the first conversation that you have and it does make a difference. Wow. Interesting. So, so, um, to, to wrap up here, what, where, what do you, where do you see this all going? Like, especially as the technology becomes more intense, people become more hyper-partisan, uh, it becomes more difficult to individually get through those masks, if you will, uh, based on, on how people are reacting to one another. What, what, what do you see the future looking like for, for us as a species? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I want answers, damn it. I think it's it's eventually going to get so ridiculous uh, that people are just kind of going to just wash their hands of it. Is I'm already done. I'm, eventually. Eventually. I'm a lot of people that are. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people are. Yeah. And I, 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 my, my prediction is that, that we're, we're actually going to see a massive I mean, the, the fact that, you know, like a Jeffrey Epstein just is outed. Uh, in fact, today I was just uh, reading that Prince Andrew uh, is going to retreat from public life for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that that uh, it's harder and harder for people to keep the lid on uh, social control. And and so I, I, I feel that we as a collective species are tired of uh, this 
us versus them government lying to us thing that's happening all over the world and and there's you know there's there's all over the world right now in chile and uh, uh hong kong in uh in venezuela uh in france people are are taking to the streets in iran like there's massive protests in iran that yeah. we're not hearing about in uh uh, Russia too, and and ultimately at the end of the day, we we seem to the, all of these groups are are really arguing about the same exact thing, right? It's it's all the same exact unrest, and so I I feel that at some point collectively as a species we're going to interconnect and start supporting one another, and at that point you know as as the saying goes, government should not be. Uh, we should, people should not be afraid of their governments. Uh, government should be afraid of the people. And I, I think that we're on a cusp of, of, of this, this quantum shift in how we relate to one another as a species. I mean, if we don't get past that, then we're, we're kind of toast. And you know what? Every time I watch an episode of Black Mirror, I'm terrified that that's where we're uh, going to end up. Great show, but yes, very close to yeah. home real. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm 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 cynical, but I'm also hopeful, and and uh, you know I think that that uh, we will live to see a uh, a time in human history that people will talk about for you know thousands of years, like oh my God, can you imagine living through that time? Um, and and I'm I'm hopeful that we will get through it uh, in one piece. But uh, now, Otto, before before we before we wrap, Chase, I want to give you a chance to to plug your services again. And uh, I know your book again is called the Ellipsis Manual. Um, I know it's available on Amazon. I believe you can get it on your website, ChaseHughes.com. Also, can you just talk a little bit about the type of businesses that you're consulting for, though, Chase? And just so if somebody's listening and they're interested in, in hiring you as a consultant uh, or doing a training for the company, could you just give a little plug for what you're offering? You bet. Thanks, Justin. I uh, most of my clients are in, in business anyway are more recently venture capital guys who want to tell when the CEOs that pitch them are just full of shit. And I get hired by a lot of law firms now. It's, it's starting to get more and more popular to do jury selection, cross-examination, the, the voir dire process and, and depositions. Has Shark Tank hired you yet? <laughs> no, I would love to do that. That'd be funny. <laughs> I'd love to be the guy like just commenting in the background, be like, oh, this guy's full of it. No, don't do it. And you could do a whole YouTube channel that's just that, and uh, yeah. it, would, it would rock. And I could just whisper in like Mark Cuban's ear and be like, oh, he's hyper-suggestible. Bump it up to 50%. Take 50% of his company. <laughs> lowball him. Lowball the guy. But uh, yeah, so we train a lot, of, a lot of businesses just to read people and reading human behavior. And uh, we've just we've got a lot of doctors that we're training now to uh, build rapport and connect with people. Uh, so that so they can avoid malpractice insurance. Yeah. And I had no idea that like just a patient liking their doctor reduces malpractice by like 85 percent. Wow. I had no idea. Wow. Just liking your doctor. Be like, oh, that's you know, he cut my leg, the wrong leg off, but he's a great guy. I'm <laughs> he didn't mean that well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy. So so where can we where so where can we find you and what kind of services do you offer uh, people? Yeah, any any other events too coming up? Yeah, we have a massive, for anybody that's uh, government or law enforcement, some civilians can come. Uh, we have a massive interrogation course April 20th coming up. And we'll have small, uh, very private uh, courses coming up in the future as well. You have to you have to go through a background check and an interview to come to any of our courses. Sorry, Andres. Sorry about that, buddy. 
<laughs> I said, sorry, Andreas, you have to do a background check. You can't come. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. Well, you know, they're gonna, the first thing they're going to say is, who do you associate with? And I'm going to say you. And then, you know, that's all over. <laughs> Done. So, um, so, uh, and, so what's, and, and so what's your website? Website is chasehughes.com. Right on, right on. We'll put a link to uh, to uh, that. Uh, Chase, this this has been a fascinating conversation. And again, I, I could have gone another two, three hours with you. Can, will you come back on the show and uh, uh, after the impeachment is over and, and we find out what's going to happen with all of this? I'd love to get your your take on on the whole political situation uh, as well, if you're willing to do that. Um, you bet. And I can come back and we'll do an impeachment episode. And I'll and we'll, I'll also give a bunch of uh, techniques and tactics. So it's not a little little less theory next time. Yeah, because because moving up to the election, I would love to for you to say, well, like, you know, that politician is full of shit because of this and this politician is full of shit because of that. And that politician is full of shit because of that. Oh, yeah. Or like yeah. even what level of like what level of language patterns and influence tactics, like what level are they are they even using or exercising that, that kind of stuff would be fascinating yeah, too. Yeah. So, so we got to have you back on the show, um, as we get closer to that. And then because we're marketing geeks, we always talk about, uh, finish off with finding out what, what people are geeky about. So it doesn't have to be, uh, marketing related. It could be just a book or a movie or a hobby. Uh, what are you most geeky about right now, Chase? I, uh, I don't think I've ever said this in public, but I secretly <laughs> have never done it or participated in it. But I secretly subscribe to like 13 different beekeeping journals and I read about it every day. Really? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I actually read that if, if every single person um, uh, in a neighborhood uh, kept a beehive, then uh, we could we could uh, help uh, with the bee, the bee crisis. Is there a connection between bee behavior and human behavior? Maybe we'll have to explore that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right on. Well, uh, be cool. And uh, uh, Justin, what are you geeky about right now? Well, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, not, not much here. I mean, I've already had my rants on the, uh, but I'll give you chase. I'll give you a warning about this new Terminator movie. It's, it's disappointing if you're a fan of the mythology and the franchise, that's all I'll say. But, no. <laughs> um, I started watching, uh, I started watching uh, the show succession actually on HBO. Really, really good show. Um, kind of funny it's all about business and backstabbing <laughs> and uh, and kind of gets into like it gets into basically like the gordon Gre uh, gordon gecko type characters uh so it, that's a lot of fun i actually enjoyed that show it's on hbo i uh i just subscribed to disney plus and i watched the first uh few episodes of the mandalorian really nice so i saw the first one not i didn't see beyond but i, I thought it was only okay it's so far it's definitely okay. It's definitely okay. And uh, I'm going to raise a glass and pour one out for Star Wars because as far as I'm concerned, it's <laughs> dead to me at this point. Man, I'm, I'm just like a, the, the, the national tragedy that is uh, the rise of Skywalker, I'm sure, is going to be a sad day for for all of us, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, with that, uh, we want to thank you, Chase, so much again for uh, being part of this show. It, it, it was a real pleasure and we definitely want to have you back. Yeah. Justin, uh, interest is fantastic to be on the show, man. And, uh, I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. All right. Well, have a, have a great rest of your day. All right. All right. That was awesome. Chase Hughes. I feel like, I feel like, uh, I want to, I want to like take you seminar and learn some Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> Man, I feel like I have a lot to learn. That's, I mean, it seems like a large investment of time, but I, that's a skill set I really, really want to master, though.
And 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 just so you know, there were things that that he said he could not talk about. We talked about this before the show. Like, what can <laughs> we always ask our guests? What can we talk about? What can we not? And he was like, I can't talk about pretty much everything else. So, um, <laughs> man, uh, I would love to like uh, you know sit down with that guy, give him some sodium pentothal, and find out what he knows. But, uh, <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, my lovely wife Iris, she's going to tell us what's coming up in future episodes. Here she is, Iris. Thank you. Uh, future episodes. Well, let's talk about the future episode, and that's going to be recording pretty soon, and that is with Tracy Roter. And Tracy comes from uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, and she has an amazing uh, history, and she will tell her uh, all about that uh, in, in the show. I'm not going to give that away, but uh, I just read it, and it's very impressive. Um, but next to her personal life, she, or due to her personal life and everything that happened to her, she came up with her business that is going very well. And that's all about, um, well, she helps um, businesses and entrepreneurs uh, to change the world. And that's her mission. And she does that with her um, great skills in um, branding and uh, marketing. And, um, well, she will tell you guys all about that pretty soon. And I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, further on, we're still very booked, full booked till uh, May next year. But we're trying to do a few extra episodes uh, here and there. So uh, um, we respond to all your requests. And, uh, well, we guarantee a great show every week. So thank you all and talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, Iris. Okay, and uh, yeah, anything you wanna you wanna cover yourself, Mister Womack? Me? Yeah, you. I'm good. I'm good. I think I think I got my homework already. I gotta dive. I gotta I gotta read through. I started reading his book, and I, I gotta I gotta get I gotta get through it. I'm not I'm not like a great reader. I'm a great. I'm much better at listening to audiobooks. Yeah. But see, some of these things just don't translate to the audiobook format. So I have to just, you have to just suck it up and read. Yeah, man. Uh, as I get older, my eyes get worse, and so audiobooks are definitely my uh my thing uh but uh with that another fine episode of the marketing geeks man i'm i'm inspired to become a body language expert and master of human psychology human influence what about you uh me i uh i actually already have all those skills so uh i can i can i can walk into uh, in fact, uh, jury duty, man. You know how I get out of jury, jury duty? <laughs> How's that? I, I walk into uh, I walk into the court and I go, I'd be a good juror because I can spot a guilty person just like that. <laughs> that's, that's how I do it. So I smell um, guilt. <laughs> I can smell it on people. I can smell you. So uh, yeah, man. It's uh, we, we do have some excellent guests coming up. Uh, please leave a review if you think that uh, you know. It might be, uh, you want to tell us what you think? In fact, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we should read some of our reviews. Oh, definitely. We should, we should get into that. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because we, uh, we have some glowing reviews from some people and other people not so much. We had, like a, we had like an influx of them recently. It was kind of strange. There was like a day where we got like six in a day. Really? Yeah. Oh, crazy. What did they say? Did they like us? They were good. Oh, I want to be liked. Amazingly, but... they were positive reviews. Oh, crazy. All right. But... Well, with... With that, stay classy. Stay mm. classy. <laughs>